Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA here today. Thank you for joining us as always. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a lot to get to on our program here today. Coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Brian Jennings from the American Coalition for Ethanol and get an update on some of the various uh, ethanol biofuel-related issues as we kick off 2024. I know there's been a lot of talk surrounding E15 and more. We're going to catch up on that and other topics with Brian Jennings coming up here in segment two today. In segment three, we're also going to take a look at how things are shaping up in Washington, D.C. and more as we are getting into 2024. John Bodie, president and CEO of the Quarter Refiners Association, is going to join us here after the bottom of the hour. And then at the end of the show today, we're going to learn more about some of the research variety trials being done by the Illinois Soybean Association and how that research can help farmers Abigail Peterson, Director of Agronomy with the Illinois Soybean Association, is going to join us coming up here before we wrap up the program today. So uh, as I mentioned, a lot to get to on the show. Let's kick it off, though, and take a look at what is happening in the markets here. Kind of mixed activity on Friday's session. Joining us for a conversation, pleased to have him on AOA, I believe for the first time. Jeff French with Ag Hedgers is joining us here today. Jeff, thanks so much for being on AOA with us. Hope you're doing well. Hey, doing great. Happy New Year, Jesse. And yes, it is uh, the first time on AOA, but hopefully not the last. Well, hopefully not the last. That is for sure. Jeff, let's take a look at what's happening uh, in this grain market and just kind of the the big picture broadly here. Uh, We see corn, beans kind of mixed and quiet here on Friday session, wheat a little higher. I know overall, South American weather, of course, continues to be a big driver here early uh, in our calendar year, especially on this soy complex. Uh, Talk about just big picture, thousand foot view, what you're seeing here in this grain trade as we are wrapping up the first week of the new year. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're here first week of January, all eyes in South America and over the holiday weekend. Uh, the rains were better than expected. And we're not talking small rains. We're talking two, three, four, five-inch rains. And now the forecast is even indicating that uh, more rains to come. So you had the bean market really under pressure, opened the year, gapped lower, and now we're down about 30, 35 cents on the week. Um, We hit a fresh seven-month low here today. Uh, March got down to 1257 uh, taking out some big chart support uh, technically. Um, but yes, it's, you know, we're going into the report next week. Um, you know, we'll see what it brings. I mean, domestically, our bean supply is very tight, and, and we've known that for some time. But look, in the last 30 days, these beans are down $1.50 a bushel. So obviously, the market is okay with that supply as they anticipate that uh, more supply is coming down from. Uh, South America. So, you know, there is questions of how big that Brazil crop is. Uh, You know, some analysts have it down in that 152 million metric tons. But when you put all of South America together, uh, they're going to grow a big crop. And and Brazil alone planted 110, 112 million acres of beans. So uh, coming into this new year under pressure, uh, the beans definitely spilled over into the corn market. 
Uh, corn started the new year uh, hitting new contract lows. Uh, you have December below this psychological support of five dollars uh, with the new crop corn. Uh, if it takes out that 490, uh, I'm going to be very uh, getting more aggressive on getting some protection in place because we've been above 490 essentially here for the last three years. So uh, starting off the year a little negative. Now the wheat uh, is one bright spot. Wheat is up five to six cents here today after reversing. Uh, we are 30 cents off the lows from yesterday. A um, couple things, the U.S. dollar is under heavy pressure here this morning after rallying the last three days. Uh, jobs report was better than expected. Uh, mm -hmm. So now, you know, we're back to, well, if, if the Fed is going to make cuts next year. So that's going to be an ongoing process here in the next six to nine months. But uh, uh, overall, uh, the grain market is kind of subdued. Uh, you know, this week, there's still a lot of players, a lot of traders uh, taking the week off because it's a four-day week. Uh, next Friday, a week from today, we get that all-important uh, final WASDE report for the final production for the 2023 row crops. Uh, so that will set the tone here, obviously, with South America weather uh, being a big influencer here for the next three to four months. Yeah, very, very uh, true there, Jeff. Uh, in, in terms of this corn market, too, how how much farmer selling have you seen or heard of here in, in the first few days of the new calendar year? I know traditionally we could see a lot of that with a new tax year, et cetera, but I know a lot of farmers not really loving the current price out there, some of the basis uh, out there across the Midwest. So are you seeing a lot of farmers selling right now? Talk about that a little bit. Uh, very little right now, Jesse. I mean, this is a down market. I mean, we you know, as a company, we just do not like to sell into down markets. What we we tend to do is uh, hold on to our put options. We'll buy something on paper to protect that. We want to sell strength, and we want to sell when everybody wants our product. Uh, and, and, you know, you look at it seasonally. Uh, the first week of January is not a really good time to sell. I mean, it's perfect logistically. It, you could haul it. I mean, this winter has been perfect. Mm -hmm. The roads are wide open. Uh, heck, I don't even think we're even frozen here. I'm sitting here in West Central Iowa. I don't think the ground's frozen yet. So uh, basis continues to be weak. We thought we'd have a little bit firmer, but uh, right now here at my local ethanol plant, uh, we're three below uh, the March board right now. So uh, ethanol margins uh, are really weak here, so that isn't contributing to the weak basis. But uh, all in all, uh, weak prices, not a lot of selling activity, which can be expected. On the cattle side, too, I'll ask you about that real quick, Jeff. Uh, we had a really great start to the week on Tuesday. You look here, wrap it up on Friday, a little bit of green early on the session in the cattle trade. A any thoughts here in this cattle market? What should we be watching for here in this uh, month ahead? Uh, very good start. You're absolutely right. Uh, we gapped higher on the first day of the trading year. There were some 175 cash trades reported up north here. Uh, as of this morning down south, I got 172 bids in Kansas. Looks like offers are right in that 75 area. So we'll see what develops here on Cash Cattle Friday. But seasonally, this is where you'd want to be long cattle. Uh, we do have some weather coming in uh, next week, uh, which could be our first snowfall of the year. Uh, that should uh, support the market. And you look at it historically, I mean, typically the first quarter – uh, cash prices in cattle tends to be higher uh, than the previous fourth quarter on the calendar. So uh, we're certainly starting off that way. 
Uh, obviously, we came into the new year on a big downtrend. We don't need to rehash that. We all we all remember that. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, yes, we're starting out good. Cash, uh, we're we're ticking up here. The feeder cattle uh, are making fresh six week highs up here at 226 into January. So uh, get your feeder cattle protection if you got to buy calves here this spring. I know folks can reach out to you with questions. Uh, AgHedgers.com, a great place to start. Jeff French, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We'll get you back on the show again real soon. Appreciate it. Have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jesse. Anytime. All right. Jeff French there with Ag Hedgers joining us on Agriculture of America. Coming up next, we'll talk with Brian Jennings from the America Coalition for Ethanol. Back with more here on AOA right after this. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness.
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we kick off a new year, we continue to watch the news headlines surrounding ethanol and biofuels. There is uh, plenty going on still as we move from 2023 to 2024. And here to give us an update and talk about things, he is the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Brian, it's great to talk with you again. Happy New Year. How are you? Hey, Jesse. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. Well, we appreciate you joining us, uh, Brian. Let's uh, let's dive in, not waste any time. As uh, we, we look at the landscape here for ethanol and biofuels, there's a lot going on, as I mentioned. Uh, let's start with E15. And I know there's been plenty of movement uh, on E15 here in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, I know we're waiting to see on an office of management and budget uh, decision here, I believe. Uh, get us up to speed uh, on where things stand for year-round unrestricted E15 sales in the U.S. Well, after stalling and really foot-dragging for months, Jesse, the Environmental Protection Agency has finally sent, as you indicated, the final rule which would allow eight Midwestern states to sell E15 year-round on a permanent basis um, to the Office of Management and Budget in the White House, which is the last stop before any federal regulation can be uh, finally approved. And so we were grateful for that step. <clears throat> that was right before Christmas. And we're hopeful um, now that uh, we're into 2024 that the OMB will kick that rule out sooner rather than later, Jesse, because the the calendar uh, is important here for terminal operators and fuel retailers. The summer driving season begins um, April of 2024, but for those that are upstream of that, the fuel terminals and others, they're going to need the, to know the rules of the road prior to that sometime in March. And so the sooner that this rule can be approved for those eight Midwestern states, the sooner all of the market participants will be able to prepare for this in those eight states. So that, that would be helpful for eight states, but it doesn't cover the nation, of course. Well, and I know uh, with those eight states, uh, I, I know the governors in those states uh, have really been uh, one of the cogs at the forefront, so to speak, kind of trying to push this forward and, and to your point, hopefully we can get a decision here soon from the Office of Management and Budget. Where do we stand as far as trying to get E15 access across the country, though? I, that's uh, something I think is is a key here. I know um, I just saw, I believe, Montana approved the use of E15, the 49th state to do so here just this past week. But, I mean, you know, where do we stand in terms of trying to get E15 year-round across the entire country, Brian? What's your thoughts on that? Well, you're right. In a, in a largely symbolic but also important step, Montana became the 49th state to approve regulations that would allow E15. That leaves California, which happens to be the largest fuel market in the country, as the only remaining holdout. And there are some activities going on in California right now that um, should help pave the way for E15 there. But in order to allow E15 in every single state on a permanent basis, 
we are likely going to need to enact bipartisan legislation, Jesse, which has been pending in Congress the last couple of years. And the reason for that is that the Clean Air Act is outdated. It did not contemplate that we could have E15 when it comes to uh, fuel use. It only contemplated E10. And so when it comes to uh, emission regulations under the Clean Air Act in the summertime, E10 is the only fuel that's approved nationwide in all of the states. And so we've got to have Congress enact legislation once and for all to update the Clean Air Act to allow E15 in all of the states, all months of the year. And we got really close to that at the end of 2023. We didn't quite cross the finish line. Um, and we're hoping in the first half, Jesse, of this election year, 2024, we can continue to mobilize bipartisan support for this legislation pending in both the House and the Senate and try to get that bill across the finish line. We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. And uh, Brian, uh, good thoughts on E15. We'll, of course, stay uh, close with what's happening there as we move forward. Hopefully, as you indicated, we can uh, get some movement on that legislation in the first half of this year. I want to turn our attention to a win here. Um, the GREET model, the uh, Treasury decision to allow GREET being used uh, for the SAF uh, tax credit, sustainable aviation fuel Obviously, there has been a lot of talk about the uh, growth here of SAF, and I know that, uh, again, towards the uh, end of December, that was a, a pretty big win for the ethanol industry as a whole, wasn't it? It really was, and for your listeners, sustainable aviation fuel represents a potentially huge new marketplace for uh, ethanol and, frankly, other biofuels, which can be further processed into essentially a drop-in fuel that can be used by the avi aviation industry without any changes to their engines or uh, their infrastructure when it comes to aviation. And so having the Department of Treasury um, open the door, and we still have some more work to do on this front, but it is a victory in that the Department of Treasury opened the door to allow the U.S. Department of Energy GREET model to be used to determine the carbon intensity of these various feedstocks, such as corn-based ethanol, that could be used to produce the sustainable aviation fuel is a big damn deal. And the reason it is, is because the GREET model is by far superior to the other approaches out there when it comes to um, not only updating, the, uh, keeping up to date with the science on, on life cycle greenhouse gas emissions, but also making sure uh, a fair accounting of what happens on the farm uh, is considered because, after all, about half of corn ethanol's carbon intensity has to do with how that corn is grown, fertilizer use, tillage practices, things like that. And so the GREET model is a superior approach to others that are out there when it comes to fairly and scientifically assessing the greenhouse gas uh, emissions from those activities. And so we're, we're now waiting for some updates that would be made to the GREET model, Jesse, which we anticipate would be done by about March of this year. And hopefully once those updates are complete, then we will have the green light and really uh, clear the runway, if you will, for opportunities for ethanol producers to sell to 
uh, others uh, who want to make sustainable aviation fuel and tap into that new marketplace. It's interesting, Brian, it's, and it's great to see uh, this happen here in terms of uh, getting sustainable aviation fuel, pushing that forward and other market for you know, ethanol, ethanol to jet. We talk about that, other biofuels. It, it's interesting to me, though, you know, we see a win like this from this administration, yet, you know, we have the whole push for EVs. This administration wants electric vehicles, half a new sales by 2030. So it's like, it, to me, it feels like they're pushing one thing here that's a negative towards ethanol and biofuels, yet they're pushing something else that is a good thing. It just... It, to me, it's it's a, it's quite interesting. It, some of it doesn't make sense sometimes, I guess, Brian. Oh, I completely hear you. Uh, it, it's it's very frustrating to see the continued uh, sort of fantasy behind pushing uh, an electric vehicle only future. And a lot of the the wind came out of that sale as we approached the end of 2023, when you saw automaker after automaker declare that the sales of their electric vehicles fell short of expectations and making announcements that they were going to dramatically reduce the number of EVs they are putting on uh, dealership lots going forward. I think the, the practical reality of how hard it is to electrify everything is finally um, you know, co coming to, to settle in a bit. And I, you know, I'm confident we're going to have liquid fuel use in motor vehicles for, for decades to come. And ethanol is going to play a very meaningful role in that future, even as we do have more electric vehicles. We just won't do it at the pace at which the Biden administration hopes and dreams we will. There will be several more um, hiccups in the road to the EV transition. And that provides important opportunities for liquid fuels like ethanol that also are saving people money at the pump and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Plenty of wins, plenty of challenges ahead of us here in 2024. Folks can learn more. Stay up to date. Ethanol.org. We've been talking with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings, here on AOA. Brian, always good to have a conversation with you, sir. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. You too. All right, coming up next here on the program, we are going to dive into uh, the status on certain trade issues and more with John Bodie from the Corn Refiners Association. He joins us next here on AOA. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted car to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card.
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains and oil seeds are mixed this morning. Corn and soy are lower, while wheat is moderately higher. Now, the grain and oil seed sector is currently lacking much of a story to counter bearish macro factors. We have seen a bit of strength in wheat prices amid chatter in the cash market that China may be shopping once again, as combined with increased tensions in the Black Sea region, but that has so far not triggered much more than speculative short covering. We did see in the Black Sea that two British minesweepers loaned to Ukraine to help ensure safe passage of ships through the waterway were denied entry into Turkish waters. Turkey said in a statement earlier this week that it closed its straits to the ships in accordance with the international concerning passage of vessels during wartime. Now, Russia exited the Black Sea Grain Initiative back in July, but since then, Ukraine has paved a path through the sea to get cargo, including grain and other egg products, in and out of the war-torn country. Still, though, a Panama-flagged vessel hit a Russian mine in the Black Sea last week that injured two sailors. It still continues to be a very risky venture to get grain in and out of that area. Rains are also continuing to fall in previously dry areas of Brazil that have largely erased near-term stress concerns. That's resulting in a removal of weather premium from the oilseed markets. Now, we're seeing some activity in the commodities as index funds engage in the annual rebalancing of their portfolios. But the bigger focus now is going to be on next week's big set of USDA crop reports. That will be out Friday on the 12th. That is the largest data dump of the year. It will include quarterly grain stocks, small grain seedings report, and updated 2023 production estimates, along with normal normal domestic and global balance sheet tweaks. Ethanol output in the last week of December also declined while inventories increased to a fresh eight-month high. Production of the biofuel fell to an average of 1.049 million barrels a day in the week ending on December 29th. That is down from 1.107 million a week before. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday, but sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, One out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA today, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you, and we are working to get connected with the president and CEO of the Cord Refiners Association, John Bodie, and uh, we'll see if we can get connected with him here for this segment. Uh, in the meantime, as we're looking across uh, some of the news headlines uh, in agriculture here today, Missouri Governor Mike Parson announced a ban on agricultural land purchases by citizens and businesses from six nations if the property is within 10 miles of critical military facilities. Now, Parson says he had countries like China and other adversarial nations in mind when issuing an executive order on the topic. 
The order puts the state ag department in charge of reviewing all proposed purchases of farmland by foreigners. Uh, the ag department is to deny all proposed purchases within 10 miles of military facilities by entities from China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, Cuba, and Venezuela. Now, Missouri is the latest state to restrict foreign ownership of U.S. farmland amid rising international tensions. Arkansas recently ordered Syngenta, owned by ChemChina, to sell a 160-acre research farm. Foreign investors own 43.4 million acres, or 3.4% of privately held agricultural land, which includes 474,000 acres in Missouri. Executive order doesn't affect existing farmland ownership. So uh, just a news headline there that quite interesting as we're seeing more talk, uh, more moves by various states in terms of restricting foreign ownership of farmland. All right. Well, joining us now here on the program, always good to have a conversation with the president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association. John Bodie is with us. John, happy new year to you. Thanks for joining us on AOA today. Happy New Year, Jesse. Well, John, let's get caught up on where things stand on various issues that are impacting uh, our nation's corn farmers and things that uh, the CRA is watching. I know uh, as we you know get going with the new year, we got plenty going on on Capitol Hill, of course. So we got to try to figure out this farm bill and things of that nature, watching various legislation work through uh, coming up here against the presidential election year. I know trade, too, of course, is a, is a big topic. And here just at the end of 2023, we saw the issues uh, on the U.S.-Mexico border uh, with the migrant crisis there and the shutdown of the rail lines. And so you think about just various trade issues. We have global trade challenges. In, in your eyes, uh, what stands out right now as far as uh, some of the trade issues we need to keep an eye on here this year? Well, Jesse, what's, what's devastating to me is that we have uh, had a trade surplus in food and agriculture for over 60 years. And this year, uh, or last year, was the first time that we had a food and ag trade deficit. And, and USDA, at the very end of, of uh, last year, uh, came out and predicted that trade deficit for food and agriculture will grow to over $30 billion. And the, um, of course, when you look at a trade deficit, it, it's what are your imports and what are your exports? The growth, very, uh, only a small amount of the growth was in imports. The real big change was a fall in our agricultural exports. And I think we've got, uh, a, this is devastating for American agriculture. Uh, our prices are dependent on our markets. And if we don't have markets, uh, we've got real problems. And uh, that is, this is a consequence of a, a longer term move away from market opening uh, efforts. We haven't signed a new market opening trade agreement in 10 years while the rest of the country the rest of the world rather is uh, signing trade agreements aggressively china is implementing the largest trade agreement in the world 
and they are and uh, the rest of the world, our economic competitors are taking our markets away from us. Well, John, you, you raise a great point that we haven't had any new trade deals in quite some time. I just wonder what's it going to take for uh, the U.S. to get certain trade deals done. I know we've been working on one with the European Union, but that hasn't gotten done. Um, I, I guess, well, I, I guess I do kind of know what it's probably going to take. It's probably going to take uh, an administration that is willing to grow our our trade avenues around the world at this point. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say that's probably the case? Yes, sir. I would. I, I, I think it is political result. This is a result of policy. And uh, we need to recognize that there are smart trade deals and there are foolish trade deals. And, uh, and uh, the new USMCA is a good example of a smart trade deal. And that's why it passed with overwhelming support on both sides of the aisle, Democrats and Republicans, was good for uh, um, manufacturing workers as well as farmers. Uh, so there are trade deals that can be uh, really good for American agriculture. And also, that is fundamental to the economic strength of America. We as a country are weaker strategically, if, if we draw up in a shell and are protectionist uh, and, and uh, we lose our competitive edge, we lose our economic influence. So this is important for American agriculture, uh, which you and I focus on, but also it's important for America as a big picture. And um, so I, I think we need to do a better job of communicating uh, to our elected officials the importance of trade, and it should not be something we shrug about uh, in the elections uh, when, um, when politicians uh, fail to give it appropriate focus. We're talking with John Bodie, president and CEO of the Corn Refiners Association. John, you know, we hear a lot of talk about the relationship between the U.S. and China. And when we talk ag trade, it seems like a lot of folks always get hung up on, well, China's not buying or China is buying, et cetera. But correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Mexico has surpassed China in total trade volume with the U.S. here, or is at least neck and neck. So one has to wonder should we maybe put a little emphasis on expanding our relationship with Mexico versus worrying so much about China? What do you think? Jesse, I, I believe that American agriculture needs its markets everywhere we can get them. And so uh, I, I think uh, Mexico is of fundamental importance. I think we're number one with Mexico, but China's still a big buyer. And we need to uh, pay attention to those markets and cultivate those markets. Um, uh, and and the, the approach to those two uh, trading partners is very, very different. Because mm -hmm. we have USMCA, we have effectively a North American economic alliance with Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And that is 
powerful driver to the economic benefit of all three countries. And frankly, to the extent there is better economic growth in Mexico, some of our border problems can, can longer term uh, be put in, in better place. Um, so that is uh, really important. And, uh, and I feel it, it's, it's a primary focus of ours at CRA. Uh, but I am not dismissing the importance of trade with China. China simply is a buyer when they need it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we, we, we need to recognize that. And, uh, and, and politics and, and geopolitics, uh, political positioning, is always part of the equation with China, uh, and, and that's just reality. But we need to, to be there and, uh, and, and be good suppliers to China. They need food, and uh, long-term, it, it's, it's in the best interest of the U.S. to have economic relations with China that protect our strategic interests but continue to um, build that uh, economic relationship where we are so good at producing food and they need it. John, before we wrap it up here today, uh, just final thoughts from you. I, I should ask, I know you're there in Capitol Hill and we're just getting back to things. Have you heard any chatter in terms of this new farm bill? Anything you're hearing from uh, your colleagues and, and other folks that you know there on Capitol Hill as we are getting back to uh, getting back to things here in 2024? Jesse, I'm, uh, I, I am bullish. We're going to get a farm bill. I'm not saying when. Uh, we've got great leaders of the agriculture com- uh, committee. And uh, I'm especially, you know, getting back to this point about uh, our markets, uh, it's important that we get a new farm bill. There is uh, ag biorefinery innovation uh, legislation uh, that has bicameral and bipartisan support in the, in the um, farm bill. Uh, mm-hmm. That is an opportunity to make us more competitive. Uh, with Asia and Europe and develop our markets for American agriculture. Folks can learn more online, corn.org. John Bodie with the Quarter Finders Association. Thanks for the time today. Appreciate it. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. I'm always lucky to talk with you. Take care. Coming up next, we'll talk with Abigail Peterson from the Illinois Soybean Association here on AOA. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand-in-hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities, with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're 
Rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Charlie Carter, Product Quality and Additives Manager for CHS Refined Fuels Commercial Supply, about how the right fuel will keep equipment running in the winter. Charlie, what happens to diesel fuel in equipment when temperatures drop, and why does that matter? Standard number two diesel fuel generally does not fare well in cold temperatures. Diesel fuel can form crystals and clog filters and fuel lines, and prolonged freezing temps can cause engines to not operate properly. That can basically lead to that dreaded downtime that we all hate. So uh, it's really important to take precautions to prevent these issues from occurring, especially in cold weather conditions. Charlie, when should farmers switch their diesel blends? Yeah, so every situation is going to be slightly different and somewhat temperature dependent. So it's important that you work with a knowledgeable fuel supplier who has a grasp on the diesel characteristics in their geography. With that being said, you should be blending your tanks to a winter blend when temperatures are right around the freezing point or 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's important to blend early and when the fuel is at least 10 degrees above the cloud point of the fuel or it won't mix well together. When you're thinking about cost and performance, what's the best way to determine the best winter fuel blend? So you will need to decide really what's best for your individual operation and what temperature you expect to be able to operate your equipment in. So if your operation relies on your equipment needing to be up in those harshest climates, you're undoubtedly going to need to invest in a diesel blend that's going to meet those needs. You're going to run the risk of being stranded on the side of the road, unable to perform your critical tasks. So it's best to discuss the specific needs with your fuel supplier as they're going to be able to deliver the high quality Senex fuels at the correct blends for optimal performance and peace of mind. Well, thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. 
Call for Closure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Joining us now here on the program, she is the Director of Agronomy for the Illinois Soybean Association. Here to tell us more about some of their investments in variety trial research, Abigail Peterson is with us here on AOA. Abigail, thanks for making time to join us back here on the show. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, the Illinois Soybean Association, uh, you guys partner with the University of Illinois to conduct a lot of annual variety testing. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. So the University of Illinois has been conducting variety trials for a number of years, um, and the Soybean Association has obviously contributed to um, getting that process done, but specifically also um, understanding what protein and oil content comes from the soybean testing specifically. So it's kind of cool for farmers to take advantage of that information to understand um, where they might set wise as far as protein and oil content, which can they can equivalent to taking advantage to different marketplaces. Um, there's a ton of varieties, about 250 that are tested, over 20 seed companies. A great also non-biased source of information for farmers to um, wade through and when they're making seed decisions, just have another layer um, of added value as a tool as they make their choices. Well, and thinking about those choices and, and looking at this variety testing, uh, tell us a little bit more about how this research really truly benefits soybean farmers in the state. Yeah, definitely. So first of all, it, it is regional. So when you first log in and, um, you know, you can see the different results, they're out now. So 2023 is compiled and you can um, look at the results regionally um, and try to find a scope of where you would be most uh, relative to the same similar climate and soil types. Um, but from there, you can really look at, you know, what type of maturity ranges, um, you know, if you're look, wanting to look at maybe an early maturity range, how well did those bode in um, that year that we had? Really comparing it to what your yields are as well, I think is a good stance to kind of um, use that as a benchmark um, to compare. And it also tells you, you know, when that maturity happens. So if they planted a very early maturity in Northern Illinois of a, a 1.4 and it matured September 28th, you know, it, it, how does that play into your risk factor on your farm? Do you need more of a broad scope of maturity so you can have better harvestability? Um, are you looking at cover crops and you want to get something planted after? So maybe a little bit earlier maturity will help that. Um, and then what does that look yield wise? Is it comparable to a full season? Is it comparable to um, what planting dates you had and, and how that, you know, did you most of your maturities range at the mid-October. So it's a very, it, it, in my perspective, it, it, it's a great way to to really challenge yourself to see what opportunities are you missing and, and what can you find as an advantage to kind of, well, what's that next level that you can get to the next year? I think it's very important for farmers to do that because obviously we're, we're trying to figure out what is going to be the best variety for our operation. It might be different from one farm to the next. So really, I, I think 
looking at all the different research that's available, Abigail, and looking at things as closely as possible, so important when you're making those uh, decisions for, say, the upcoming year, like we will be here very soon for 2024, right? Yes, definitely. And and really evaluating, you know, what are some of those limiting factors on your field? We also this year for the 2024 season are funding soybean cyst nematode reproduction testing as part of the variety trials. Um, we also have free available soil um, SCN testing kits that farmers can do because that's a, a hidden um, yield drag, a hidden yield uh, robber on soybeans. And if soybean cyst is something you need to be watching out for, looking at the varieties and, and what you have available as far as packages um, becomes quite limited. And, and if that's what's maybe keeping you from getting an extra 10 uh, to 20 bushel, you, you really need to consider testing your soils and also looking at the varieties that you have a, as options. So I would say that's another source that farmers can use this information for as well. Yeah, SCN, such a huge yield robber, something we need to watch for uh, very closely moving into 2024's growing season. We're talking with Abigail Peterson, Director of Agronomy for the Illinois Soybean Association. Uh, is there anything new ISA is going to be doing as part of their uh, research for a variety trials and more as we get into 2024. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, along with the SCN testing, um, you know, working in correlation, like I mentioned, with the soil testing um, as well. Uh, we also have a lot of research projects that are looking into different management systems, um, looking at seed row spacing or row spacing, as well as um, looking at how we incorporate different um, planting methods as far as what tillage practices, whether that be no-till, conventional, um, strip tillage, as well as different cover crop systems. So um, it's a it's a whole gambit of when planting comes around of, of what availabilities you should have for your association to look for tools um, to help you make some of those spring decisions where we don't know what weather we'll get or, or what really to expect. But um, when we do, really knowing what the best option is to, to get a good start to the year. So um, there's a whole host of information um, on the research that we're doing at lsoyadvisor.com. And I encourage all farmers to get on there and look. Um, we also have our big soybean summit coming up here in Champaign on February 2nd, where you can meet the researchers um, and meet the ISA agronomist and ask questions in person. Fantastic. And can uh, you mentioned the 2023 results. Can farmers find all of that on the same website as well, Abigail? Yes, and it's very easy to find. You can also find wheat and corn um, and soybeans. They're all organized regionally, PDFs. Um, and you can go to vt.cropsci at illinois.edu um, and look that up. Usually I just type in University of Illinois soybean variety trials in my Google and it's the first search available. So um, however you find it, that it is up and, um, and easy to find. Well, a lot of great ways to get the information. And as Abigail mentioned, ilsoyadvisor.com. Or you can also find more about the Illinois Soybean Association online at ilsoy.com. We have been talking with the Director of Agronomy for the Illinois Soybean Association, Abigail Peterson. Abigail, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Appreciate the time. Have a great one. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. You too. And we do appreciate it. Abigail Peterson with the Illinois Soybean Association. Thanks to her for joining us here on today's show. Again, learn more, ilsoy.org or ilsoyadvisor.com. 
Definitely going to be watching the weather over the next few days. Uh, could see some pretty hefty snowfall totals across parts of the country. So no doubt uh, keep an eye on the latest forecast and stay safe out there if uh, some of that heavy snow does come your way. I'm out of time. Thanks for joining us here today on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness.